You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time to lock and load. Time to get control. Time to search for soul and start again. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as usual by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. David, you're back. I am. I'm back finally. Yes, finally, because I do not like doing shows by myself. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I don't either. <laughs> 22 minutes of me rambling on, talking to myself, mostly about Deshaun Jackson and how I've, I'm pretty much fed up with him. But, you know, why don't we go ahead and, and, and kick things off with that here on this holiday edition of the Locked On Bucks podcast, because I had plenty of thoughts on Deshaun Jackson. And you said that you've you've finally been able to watch the game and and you have your own thoughts that apparently are going to make me as irritated as Chandler Catanzaro <laughs> kicking footballs. So, you know, just go ahead and, and dive in. What did what did you see? Deshaun Jackson is who Deshaun Jackson is. He's never he's never been a guy in his career to really play defense, right? And, and I and I know after that last interception or the, you know the two interceptions that were thrown in his direction, it just so happened because that's the way the football gods worked that Julio Jones made probably the defensive play of the year for the Atlanta Falcons uh, in, in their game and, and broke up what should have been an interception from Matt Ryan. And a, and a lot of people kind of kind of leaned on that as evidence of, you know, this is what an elite receiver does versus what Deshaun Jackson does. And there there's big differences between Julio Jones and Deshaun Jackson. And one of them being uh, Julio Jones is supposed to be one of the top five or top 10 receivers in the league. And that Deshaun Jackson is uh, like half the size of Julio Jones. So some of this, has to do with size. Some of this is a business decision and, and, you know, whether we like it or not, I mean, I think we want every single player to, to go all out on every play, but that's just not the reality um, of, of the national football league. And it's not just Deshaun Jackson. There's a, there's a lot of players that, uh, you know, will make decisions uh, based off of, you know, health and, and perceived threat and danger. You know, you go back to the Cam Newton fumble, uh, lack of fumble recovery in the Super Bowl. you know, uh, what was actually going through his head at the time. I don't know, but what it looked like is, Man, that's a lot of meat coming down on that ball, and I'm not trying to get my shoulder dislocated or my head caved in uh, getting down there with those guys. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, so the first interception, you know, in the end zone there, um, look, I, I don't I don't put that on Deshaun, honestly, at all. I mean, could he maybe have made a better effort? Of course. But, I, I mean, a guy his size, like you, you don't throw jump balls to Deshaun Jackson. That's that's not his skill set. That's not his game. It's never been his game. Um, you don't – so I don't I don't know – what Fitzpatrick saw. I don't know what he thought was going to happen, but there were multiple defenders there. The ball, you know, hung in the air for like a minute and a half. I mean, that's not going to be, I don't know. The chances of Deshaun Jackson coming down with that ball in my mind are slim to none. So just a bad decision there uh, by Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then the one at the end of the game, and this is the one that's gotten the most Twitter traffic from what I've seen and most conversation uh, from what I've seen. So I watched it a few times and at first glance, it does. It looks like Deshaun basically gave up on that play. It was basically like, oh, the ball shouldn't be coming to me, so I'll just kind of jog it out. And then he looks up, and the ball is coming. No crap. Let me catch up to it real quick. And he ends up basically getting to the ball at the same time it's getting into the defender's hands. 
But then I watched, I flipped over to the all 22, watched it, rewound it, watched it, rewound it, watched it, ran, ran it in slow-mo, all that stuff. And I'm looking at the play and I'm looking at the defense and I'm looking at how, how the whole thing transpired. Uh, so no timeouts, right? The Buggers have no timeouts. They're trying to move the ball downfield to, to get into scoring position. So you're obviously looking for a sideline throw, which, which is why you have those three routes there at the edge of the field so that hopefully if anybody comes down with it, they can get out of bounds, stop the clock, and you can move up and call a play. If you look at where Deshaun Jackson slows down, he slows down because there's an underneath defender in zone and there's an over-the-top defender. The over-the-top defender, and the broadcast team even pointed it out, that they did a great job because they're basically just not going to let anybody get behind them, which is textbook coverage for that situation. Deshaun Jackson, being the veteran player that he is, having been in the league for a really long time, gets past the first defender. The defer- the first defender kind of cuts his zone off for the under- underneath coverage like he's supposed to. And what you see there is Deshaun Jackson's in about a 20-yard window where there's no defender. If Jameis Winston puts that ball on a rope and hits Deshaun Jackson in that gap, Jackson makes the catch and gets out of bounds with zero competition, zero contention. I can't read Deshaun Jackson's mind. But what I saw is it looked like he was thinking the ball should go here so let me give my quarterback that chance of making that throw. And then when he looks up and he sees that the ball is going higher, going deeper, he tries to react. And just by that time, it's too late. But the smarter throw of the two would have been for James to throw it in that window in between the defenders where Deshaun Jackson was by the sideline and could have gotten out of bounds. So I think, right, again, I don't I don't know what he was thinking, um, but I think that's what we saw is, is Deshaun Jackson was – really making a smart play. And we, and we talk about all the time, you know, wide receivers finding a place in the zone and settling down. I think that's basically what he was doing. He was finding a soft spot in the zone to settle down, let Jameis make the throw. But Jameis was going for the home run uh, versus, versus just getting a big chunk of yards and getting out of bounds. Now, can I talk about that play a little bit more? Or do you want to react to what I just said first? No, you, you can continue. Okay. So what I have a real issue with on that play is the design of the play. It's and, and the play call itself wasn't a bad one. I understand what they were trying to do, but when I look at it, Deshaun Jackson should have, should have been the inside receiver. Chris Godwin was the inside receiver on the right side of the field on that on that on that play. Move Chris Godwin to the outside. He's your taller guy. He's your guy that's got a little bit more vertical. So if you do go there with the ball, Chris Godwin is a guy who can actually go up and contend for that ball and potentially come down with that 50-50 catch. Deshaun Jackson's not that guy. Like I've already covered. If you put Deshaun Jackson on the inside, the Buccaneers ran a shorter route and say it was Mike Evans that was on uh, coming across from the left side to the right side of the field underneath. And what the Giants had in there, and again, some of this is hindsight, right? But you just look at the play design of the whole thing. If you run your left side player on a shorter route, what that's going to do is keep that one defender. And if that safety is only reading that one receiver over there because that's his side of the field, the potential for him to play shorter is there as well. And if you do that, Deshaun Jackson can then wrap around that top safety on that side of the field, and you have a throw where instead of James trying to throw vertical along a seam or vertical along a line, you have him to where he's leading his receiver. And and from what I've seen, I, I know we have those seam routes to Cameron Brayton stuff every once in a while, but from what I've seen, James is much better when he's throwing a receiver open at an angle, if that makes sense. The potential for, for Deshaun Jackson to get behind that safety is, is very high. And that's where you could potentially get your home run ball, where if that safety does get deep and doesn't stay and doesn't bite on that shorter route on the left hand side, then you have Chris Godwin near the sideline where you can throw 
that 50 50 ball and have a better opportunity of coming down with it. So to me, that seems like a better play design just overall and hindsight being 2020 looking at the way the play uh, broke down that safety that was on my given side of the field was not getting deep at all uh, deeper anyway than he already was and really didn't appear to be con- concerned with what was going on in the right half of the field. So if Deshaun cuts from the right half of the field towards the end zone in the middle of the left half of the field and Jameis throws it over top of that safety, you know, we've seen, we've seen Jameis overthrow him of course before, but that play, that design seems to me like it would have a much better opportunity to be successful. Okay. Here's, here's my, here's my thing. Whether Deshaun was making a smart play or not, or, you know, whatever his thinking was in that situation, trying to find that soft spot in the zone, that's not where the ball went. And, you know, you're, you said, you know, Jameis being Jameis, he was going for the home run, which was kind of the the play design. So to me, the lack of effort, again, at the end of that play looks to be a result of Deshaun mentally going, well, the ball isn't going where I think it should go, so whatever. And the other comment that I'll make before we get to to some of these voicemails in rebuttal to the whole kind of self-preservation, Deshaun not playing defense when he needs to kind of thing. Um, You know, he was the one in the locker room talking about they need guys with more heart. They need guys with more passion that, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Adam Humphreys, for all intents and purposes, is pretty much the same size as Deshaun Jackson. And he made not one, but two defensive plays on passes that could have, would have, should have been intercepted by Jameis because that's who he is. Adam Humphreys is out there for the betterment of the team, doing what he can for the team. And Deshaun is out there for Deshaun. And if things aren't going the way Deshaun wants them to go, he's going to pout. He's going to half-ass it. That's what Deshaun does. And I've I've reached the point now where I'm just I'm over it. I'm over it. You know, let him let him walk after the season. Let him go somewhere else. You know, save that ten million dollars. Use it somewhere else. Because um, honestly. I don't think the Bucks need him, and I don't think he wants to be here. So, yeah, that, uh, no, that's and, kind of my feeling. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree with you. And Deshaun, <laughs> I mean, he that's that's his reputation, that's his history. He doesn't, you know, when he's when he's on the field running around as a decoy or as a you know a fourth option or whatever it is, and essentially knows he's not getting the ball. He does. He comes out slow out of his breaks. He comes out slow off the line. Uh, he doesn't put on a lot of effort. And, and and you're right, he doesn't. You know, it, it is kind of ironic to hear him talk about the one or him being the one talking about, you know, players having more heart and, and, and all that. And, uh, you know, I love Adam Humphreys. I love the way he fights. I love the way he plays. Um, I think that he's definitely a guy you want on your team because he's got that fighting spirit. And, and you're right. They, they're very similar in size. So why is Adam Humphreys doing things that Deshaun Jackson isn't doing? And I think the bottom line comes down to I don't think Deshaun feels like he needs to, you know. And, and that's not, you know, I'm not agreeing with it. You know, I, I'm definitely not saying that I think that Deshaun made the right decisions as far as, you know, the way he plays throughout the entire game, the entirety of the game. And, and I think what it boils down to, at least on that last play, is just the, this unit is not in sync with each other. They're, they're not connected. They don't they're not on the same wavelength. And it, it's been all year. It's been, you know, the last two years. Um, we've seen it time and time again, even with Mike Evans, you know, uh, Mike will run a, one run one route. And James will throw a different one. Uh, there's a connection issue here with, with 
not just Jameis, but we've seen with Fitzpatrick as well. Um, something the quarterbacks are being told to read one thing, the receivers are being told to read another. You know, they're they're just they're not on the same page. They're not seeing the same thing when they go out there and play, and that's that's the biggest problem. And Deshaun. He's, he's got a reputation throughout his career of being a guy who when things aren't going right and they're not going his way and they're not going, you know, the team's not getting wins uh, that he's that he pouts that, you know, he throws fits and and he kind of uh, plays to the detriment of getting better versus playing to get better. And, and I think that's something that, you know, Odell Beckham talking about the Giants, you know, he's he's a guy who's known to pout and throw fits and everything else, too. But one thing you have to give Odell Beckham credit for is that even when he's throwing the fit on the sideline and everything else, when he gets back on the field, he's out there and he's trying to make his routes. He's trying to make the reads. He's trying to get on, on the same page with his quarterback. And when the opportunity to make a play presents itself, he's out there to make that play. Um, there's a lot of dog in him. There's a lot of dog in Adam Humphreys. There's just, there's just not uh, in Deshaun Jackson. It doesn't, it doesn't appear, um, but that's who he is. And, and again, it's not so much that I agree with, with him being that way, but it's, I'm not surprised just because that's who he's always been. Um, and if, if the Buccaneers, uh, if, the, if that's part of their, their mentality flaws uh, that are, that's leading to some of these losses and these, these inefficiencies in the red zone and the ability to score, then yeah, they definitely should move on. And for the price tag that he's, that he's bringing, I mean, maybe it's best for the team to move on. And I agree with you. It, 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 would it be a huge drop for the Buccaneers to lose him? I don't, I don't really think so. I think Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Adam Humphreys, uh, potentially Justin Watson if he continues to develop and maybe a guy they sign in for agency or draft uh, that has some speed could could definitely come in and still have one of the best potential passing attacks in the National Football League. Uh, so so as far as how detrimental it would be to lose him uh, in the offseason, I don't think it's really all that bad to lose him in the offseason. I just I'm not surprised by it and I'm not as mad about it as 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 you maybe and as some people just because it's, it's who he is. Uh, it's It's who he's always been. All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and, and power through some of these voicemails that have been accumulating because I am not the editing and tech sa- uh, savant that that you are. So I wasn't able to incorporate um, any of the voicemails. Otherwise, my solo show would have been much, much simpler. So let's go ahead and jump into those before we get to our special uh, Thanksgiving section of this of this episode. All right. How you doing, guys? It's Brent down here in Houston. Um, a few episodes behind. Uh, it's Friday, my time. I've been working shutdowns down here in Houston, you know, plant life. But uh, I was just wondering, you know, big down here in Houston, uh, they got a kid that plays for the University of Houston named Ed Oliver. What do you think of possibilities if we release Gerald McCoy and cut Gerald McCoy, that we, we go after Ed Oliver in the draft? I mean, I know it's kind of crazy to take two defensive tackles in back-to-back years, but I was just throwing that option out there for, uh, you know, for, for future references. Um, you know, I hope we get a big win this week. Um, look forward to hearing from you guys. Go Bucks. All right. Well, Brent, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. Um, full disclosure, I have watched as many college football games this season as I can count on one hand. Um, and a couple of those were Illinois games. So those don't even really count because they don't really play football. Um, so I have not seen a single snap of Oliver. And so I will pass it over to David because I cannot speak intelligently on the subject and I'll start driving into or diving into some, some of the draft stuff after the season. But yeah, I just, because of my, day job 
I don't get the opportunity to really watch much college football, if any at all. All right. So I've seen a little bit of that, Oliver. Um, I don't I don't really dive into draft preparation until we get more into December, uh, even January, especially if the Bucks are out of the playoffs. Uh, that's, that's when I really start. Dying. So for this, I'm going to refer you, Brent, to uh, the Draft Network. Um, if you guys don't know about the Draft Network, uh, John Ledyard and, and Trevor Sycamore, who host Locked On NFL Draft, uh, started this this website and this company, and it's 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 pretty uh, pretty top shelf. It's pretty good stuff. But I happened to write up kind of a a scouting report on Ed Oliver, and so to answer your question, I'm basically going to refer to his scouting report. Uh, so again, this is John Ledyard. Basically, just just he's talking about Ed Oliver having kind of the fastest get off and maybe being the most athletic defensive lineman. Uh, interior lineman that 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 he's ever uh, scouted, which is obviously a big uh, a big compliment to Mister Oliver over there. Um, he's got a lot of ability. Ability. He's you know according to John, he's got linebacker type range and is definitely a guy who can disrupt the play from the inside or the outside. You know wherever you need him to get to. The only problems with him so far that that John has has brought up is that the kid tends to to rely more on raw athleticism than uh, technical ability to win. And that's something that, you know, if you think back to when Joey Bosa was coming out of Ohio State, Bosa had a lot of athletic ability, a lot of speed, a lot, you know, very good get off uh, the snap. But he also was a very solid technician when it came to the use of his hands and setting up offensive linemen for the next move and, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of something you're looking at for a total package type of player. Now, whether Oliver is doing that because of the level of play playing there in Houston, uh, you know, no offense to anybody in Houston, but they're just, they're not playing, you know, uh, the, the top, the, you know, the top competition every single week. And a guy like Oliver, who, you know, was a five-star prospect, had the basically his choice of schools uh, coming out of high school. Maybe, maybe his, uh, his effort is, is kind of playing down to his competition and that might hurt him a little bit in the scouting process. Um, the thing that really has me concerned is John talking about, the, the possibility that Oliver is playing under his listed weight. His listed weight is 280 pounds. Gerald McCoy is 300 pounds. So he's already listed 20 pounds lighter. And if he's actually playing lighter than that, that's got some big concerns because if he has to put on weight to be able to play in the National Football League, some of that raw athleticism and, and, and talent that we're seeing right now there in Houston is going to go away. And how is he going to be able to bounce back from losing that? That's a huge question. You know, so that's just kind of off the cuff right now. To be honest with you, it's not as thorough. We will get into more thorough stuff. I'll be doing a lot of, of draft analysis and preparation and game watching. You know, like I said, I've watched a little bit of Oliver, but I can't sit here and say I've even watched a full game of, of Houston Cougars football because uh, I haven't, but I will. He's definitely a guy that's on my list. So uh, we wanted to answer your question, but I think that we can both agree. Definitely come back later, January time frame. Uh, as we get towards the draft season and even deeper in the draft season here, we'll talk a little bit about it, I'm sure. And then I'll be doing a lot of writing uh, for the draft on uh, Bucks nation. Next question. What's up boys? It's Tyler from Boston. I'm sure your guys' inbox is getting flooded by questions about the, the quarterback situation, but I want to kind of ask something along the different line, uh, some different. Um, what do you guys think for the rest of the season we should focus on as far as developing, uh, players or seeing what we got in players on offense and defense? Uh, such as rookies or young guys or, um, you know, some people like Deshaun Jackson, I don't think that we're expecting to have next year. I know a lot of people are talking about maybe trading with Sean McCoy. So I guess like, what are we, what are we going to be looking at on offensive defense and how do you think that's going to prioritize what we do in the off season? Uh, we're going to be looking towards the draft to kind of replace 
some of those players or you think we're going to look into free agency, a little bit of both, and what what do we need to prioritize? Thanks. All right, Tyler, thanks for the call. Um, okay, there's going to be there's going to be some major changes going going on. Um, the problem with trying to play guys to evaluate them moving forward is it's not these coaches or this staff that needs to do the evaluating. It's going to be whoever they bring in. I don't think even if they go on a well, God, that's so tough to say. I want to say even even if they go on a run and win every game the rest of the year, Cutter's gone. Um, I do feel that even if they do, uh, it's a very strong likelihood that Cutter would still be gone. It seems like things are just things seem very toxic right now from the outside looking in. Um, as far as how they're going to go about it, we may see some wholesale like roster changes. Um, Gerald McCoy, as you mentioned, might be gone. I think Deshaun Jackson's gone. I think there's a possibility they don't bring back Cameron Brait because of how well OJ Howard has played. Um, you know, they might get rid of Levante David. I think that would be probably the biggest mistake out of all of them. Uh, and, and you all know I'm a huge Gerald McCoy guy, but you know, if they're if they're going to pick between one or the other, I think they would have to keep Levante David. Um, you know, Will Golston, you can get out of that contract. Demar Dotson. Quan Alexander is a free agent. You're going to have to give some money to him. They might let Donovan Smith walk. You know, there's going to be some major, major roster changes, and that's going to be put on the shoulders of whoever the new head coach is. And if there's a new general manager, you know, whoever that might be. But you can't, you obviously can't supplement all of that in the draft. They will be spending money in free agency as they have in in recent years, whether or not those free agent signings work out is a whole different story. You know, obviously the, the Deshaun Jackson experiment has, you know, had its ups and downs, but for the most part, you can say that that really didn't work very well, or at least not the way that they wanted it to. Mitch Unrein still hasn't seen the field. I mean, good heavens, David, his career might be over if he's been out this long with a concussion. Uh, You know, Bo Allen hasn't been, Great. Vinny Curry's been injured all season. Ryan Jensen has been a massive disappointment. So I, there's a lot of free agent misses that this team has has had the past couple of years. But you have to supplement your roster with with those free agents because you got to field 53 guys. And if you're getting rid of, of some of these high-priced players to save on that money and you have other guys whose contracts are expiring, they'll be spending in free agency. But uh, it depends on the philosophy of, of whoever the new head coach is, what direction that they want to go in. Right. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say right now. I mean, the draft and free agency are always going to be used to kind of fill your, fill your holes, but you know, situations like what happened with Chris Baker, what's, what's going on right now with Deshaun Jackson are, are kind of the reasons, you know, I remember the off season, a lot of people were getting mad that Jason light wasn't uh, hauling in these, these kind of big name players out there that were available for trade or free agency. Uh, and this is why. This is why general managers kind of hesitate sometimes to bring guys in because at the end of the day, you just don't know how they're going to fit in your locker room, in your scheme. You know, you try to get the best idea you can from from watching film and everything, but uh, it, it's it's a team sport. I mean, you look at a defensive lineman, you know, what, what the other defensive linemen on the team are doing impacts what they're doing. Those defensive linemen aren't coming to your team with them uh, necessarily. And so how is that player going to play plugged into your set versus the set that they're coming from? Uh, cornerbacks, defensive backs, same thing. I mean, 
Uh, cornerbacks rely a lot on the safety help that they do and don't get. So if, if you had a cornerback, say, coming out of, of Baltimore in, in the in the mid-2000s who has had some, all, some Pro Bowl seasons and all-pro seasons, and you're like, oh, man, let's go grab this guy, bring him to our team. Well, all of a sudden now he's not playing in front of Ed Reed. You got a totally different defensive back out there. Uh, and it may not necessarily pan out. So it's it, that's where it's kind of hard. It's all it's all a gamble. It's all a risk. You don't know what you're getting. But free agents, you're going to pay more money for that gamble than you are in, in the draft, which I think is why a guy like Jason Light uh, maybe doesn't pursue free agency as, as much as fans really want him to. Um, but again, but like James said, I mean, is Jason Light going to be the guy calling those shots? We don't know right now. And is Dirk Cutter going to be the coach that he's trying to get players for? We don't know that right now. We kind of have our thoughts on it. Um, I think back, uh, a wise man once said, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, well, you ain't going to fool me again. Is that kind of like the <clears throat> the uh, Michael Scott, fool me once, strike one, fool me twice, strike three? Yeah, but I mean, I have no idea either. I mean, if, the team, if the team wins out, could, could this coach stuff be back? I suppose it's possible. I mean, I really don't see it happening, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, possible yeah. to win the lottery. Yeah, uh, and I don't mean a scratch off. I mean it's possible to win the Mega Millions, right. but it's not probable. Yeah. I mean I think at this point, uh, barring something just just dramatically crazy, I just at this point I think the only question really right now is staffers, uh, position coaches, and uh, Jason Light. I think those are the big questions. Honestly, I think Jason Light's really the biggest question because. I don't know. Uh, coach hires want their guys, want to bring in their guys, but it's possible that the Bucks retain uh, the 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 coaching the position coaches just so that if the head coach wants to keep them, they have that opportunity. But I think I think the biggest question is the general manager position, and we'll, and we'll see kind of how that all transpires. And uh, we've actually got a a voicemail from Chef about that very topic. All right. Well, next question. Hey guys, it's Chef calling you back. Uh, sorry, my last uh, voicemail got a little jumbled up. Just uh, had some quick notes. Uh, I don't understand the decisions to airball to Deshaun Jackson. That's not what he's there for. He's on a 50-50 ball catcher. I mean, uh, you see time and time again, he's not going to make an extra effort to go for it. I mean, especially on that one throw, I don't know what Fitz was doing, but that uh, ball seemed to go be in the air for at least 10 seconds before it would like free fall into the defender's arms. And it's, I don't understand, uh, I hear that Vita Vea was absent or wasn't on the field during some crucial times, which also begs the question, why are you not using your first round pick in those type of situations? I mean, what the hell did, or sorry, why, why did Light draft Vea if he's not going to be used in those situations? And that's why I think that there is a discord disconnect between Light and Cutter because it seems like every person, every player that Light brings in, Cutter finds a way to either misuse them or just not use them at all. And if that's the case, it's going to be a huge factor in why both of them are gone. And in my opinion, I don't think that's fair to Light. I mean, I've heard uh, some good things about Light, and I've heard some not so great things about life uh, on the ra- or uh, about Light on the radio today. And I'll leave it at that. But it it seems to me that Cutter is going to get both of them fired, and I just think that Light is getting screwed over. All right, well, uh, Chef, thank you for the call. Um, I'm sure you're cooking up a storm today. <laughs> yeah, because he's a chef, David. He's a chef. <laughs> there it is. Uh, hilarious. 
Uh, we did. We did already kind of touch on on the Deshaun Jackson portion of uh, of the call. Um, as for Vita Vea, we don't know whose decision it was to not have Vea in during portions of the game. They do run a rotation, so I'm not gonna go nuts over that. Um, you know, Vea is still, and it's something that David and I have talked about, and and some people like this this view and, and this reasoning for why Vey is being used the way he is. And, and some people don't, and, and that's their prerogative. But as David and I said, this is a guy who is learning on the fly. He didn't have a, a mini camp. He didn't have a training camp. He didn't have a preseason. He didn't have the first quarter of the regular season. He's, he's not ready for that massive of a workload while he's still learning on the fly. We do have to remember that, yes, some rookies come in and immediately they just it just clicks. They just get it. But most of the time we see rookies come in and they have their their struggles, those rook that rookie learning curve. And so if there's critical moments where Vea isn't 100 percent familiar with what it is that they're trying to run or they're running a certain package that just doesn't involve Vea and you know, they're leaving that package on the field. We're not a hundred percent sure. So I wouldn't stress about that too much. I do think that we have seen cutter misuse talent uh, on this team. You know, David broke down the, the running, the running game a few episodes ago, or it was you know, last week or the week before. I can't remember. They all run together anymore. David, we do this five <laughs> days a week. It's just, it, it gets to be a lot. <laughs> but we've seen Cutter mismanage this team. We saw a, a, a prime example was two weeks ago, 500 yards of offense, three points. OJ Howard had two targets. They went away from Peyton Barber, who was who was just crushing it in the run game. We saw it against the Giants. You have a, a running back in Peyton Barber who is just absolutely decimating the Giants defense by running up the middle. So what do they do? They run a stretch play and then they run a toss. Why? You know, Barber was averaging more yards per carry than Saquon Barkley did, but it was up the middle and they kept running to the outside and it just, it didn't make any sense. So, um, you know, prime example as to why I, I truly believe that Cutter is gone. Yeah. I mean, uh, management of, of personnel, play calling, game strategy has, uh, just, just plagued uh, Dirk Cutter's time as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it, it's just continuing this season. You know what? What the thought process was, the strategy behind drafting who they drafted, um, is, is definitely a question that that everybody's asking. But I can see where the frustrations coming in. I can see where people are, are frustrated. And again, with Jason Light, do we do we hold Jason Light accountable for injuries when the players who are are injured are on the field and they do look good? Or do we hold the coaches accountable for not being able to adjust to the players that they have remaining after those injuries uh, occur? That's that's not a question I can answer. I can say what I would do, but you know, the, I don't think the Glazers uh, subscribe to the Locked On Books podcast. All right, that is going to do it for part one of this episode because David and I had so much to get to. We ended up having to split this episode in half. So this is it for part one. Make sure you check out the second episode where it is all Thanksgiving. We had a lot of fun uh, playing our, our a little Thanksgiving game here. 
regarding the Buccaneers. Please make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you are sending in your voicemail so you can be part of the shows just like this one. Do so by calling 813-444-5841. Make sure you're checking out everything going on over at Twitter, at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. We would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks. away from me, you know, I don't find this stuff amusing anymore, if you be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal, I can call you Betty, Betty when you call me.